Very good. So there's the voice that summons the executioners of the city, each of them with their destroying weapon in their hand. It's very menacing. Six men come from the north gate, and they've got those destroying weapons in their hand, and there's one other man there. This certain man clothed in linen, and he has something to write with, a writing case at his side. Now, linen was the fabric used for priests and generally for angels, so for those who are special servants of the Lord. And uh, so we've got them there. we got the six executioners and the man that can write. Suddenly, verse 3, he sees the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple. Now, We say that God dwelt in the temple, correct? But you could be more specific. Where was it that God dwelt? In the Holy of Holies. You could be more specific. Where is it that God dwelt? Between the cherubim above the mercy seat. Well, God's leaving there. The glory of the Lord went up from the cherub. There's no word cherubs. Cherubim means more than one cherub. So if you got one, it's cherub, two, it's cherubim. So he goes up from the cherub on which it had been. So he's going up from, from the, above the mercy seat to the threshold, like the doorway of the temple. Now God's not left the temple yet, but he's clearly preparing to. You know, if, if you get up from your bed and you get yourself ready and you go to the door, what would you expect to happen next? Probably going to open the door and leave. You know, so we're seeing the Lord in preliminary stages of abandoning his city. We'll see how that goes as we continue through further chapters in Ezekiel. And then he, God talks to the man with the writing case. 
It said, I want you to go through the city, through all Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the ones who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are occurring in its midst. All right, now do you understand that idea? Um, he is supposed to go through and mark all the righteous. I would assume he didn't have to use a lot of ink. And then he says to the others, go after him and strike and don't pity him. Old men, young men, maidens, little children, women, everybody. You know, there is no class exempt. Even the strong men he doesn't mention, but they would have been killed in the battle. And he said, but do not touch any man on whom is the mark. So the only ones exempted are the ones that are marked. The ones that are marked are the ones that are faithful, righteous. They don't like the abominations and they don't support them. And so he says, start from the temple. Wow. I mean, that's like starting from the very spot where the guilt has culminated. You know, the very thing that was provoking the Lord so much, he says, start right there and start executing. Now, you may remember that there was an ordered execution by a godly priest that really was deserved, but he said to take the one who was to be executed away from the temple court to execute. Remember who that was that was executed? Athaliah, the queen. And you remember who, who gave the order to execute her away from the temple court? Jehoiada, the high priest. Very good. But here, he's not worried about defiling the temple. Well, it's already been highly defiled. You know, uh, it's been contaminated, so might as well go ahead and just slaughter them right there where they are. Uh, that's, that, you know, you think of the temple as almost being an asylum, almost a haven. Not anymore. Not with what they've done in the temple. Ezekiel says, God, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel? You know, he's, he's interceding for the people. He's, he's, he's startled and, and worried. Are we just going to wipe them all out? That's what he's afraid of. That's what he sees as possible. Uh, that really, that horrifies him. And, uh, God says, the iniquity of the houses of Israel and Judah is very, very great. Lands full of bloodshed, cities full of perversion. I mean, really, it's worse than just the idolatry. When you start worshiping other gods, you start misbehaving morally. You know, you see people who aren't worshiping God properly, it won't be any time that they're mistreating everybody else. They're selfish and prideful and just a disaster. That's what's going on here. It's, it's just so bad. That, that God is not going to spare. They say the Lord has forsaken the land, the Lord is in the sea. He said, my eye sees all right, but it's not going to pity or spare. I'll bring their conduct down on his own head. Now, in God's defense, I mean, certainly, he has every right to do that. Whoa. Think about how outrageous their behavior has been. But also think about, this is not the only time that God's eye did not pity or spare. Think about the time that God's eye did not spare when his own son bore our sins on the cross. That puts this in a new perspective. But certainly, God's wrath is being poured out here. The man clothed in linen comes back and reports, I've done it. So God has had mercy on all those 
who are opposed to the abomination. I'm assuming that was a very small subset. But whoever it was, that man clothed in linen has got every one of them marked. They're exempted. Now, that reminds me of other judgments of God where he exempted righteous people. Like Rahab, Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah, Revelation 7, yes, great parallel. You're not coming up with the one I would have thought everybody would have come up with. Oh, the Passover. The Passover, Exodus, yeah. The mark on the door, God passed over and did not kill the firstborn in those houses. What we're seeing is this is a typical pattern of the Lord, that he is just. So his wrath is poured out on the wicked, his wrath is not poured out on those who are faithful, even though it may be a small number. And even though he may have to drag Lot and his daughters away from Sodom and Gomorrah, God's very merciful in doing that, to make that distinction. All right, thoughts and comments on chapter 9, J.D.? Great point, yeah. The point is, you know, they were, in verse 4, sighing and groaning over the abominations. You know, the first step to being abominable ourselves is to quit sighing and groaning over them. When we don't find them all that offensive, we in fact are entertained by them. We kind of enjoy hearing about them, seeing about seeing them, etc. We're not doing them, but we kind of uh, develop a fondness and, you know, all that. But yeah, we got to be really careful. We need to maintain our position of really being revolted by the things of God. When we get to where we just enjoy them, we don't do them. kind of wish we could, though. Because <laughs> that's bad. We need to sign, bro. Good point. Andrew. Something that really stands out to me in this chapter is verse 9, uh, when he says, uh, the house of Israel and Judah is very, uh, the iniquity is very, very great. The land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. That God has always required blood as atonement for sin. You know, with sacrifice in the Old Testament, and then of course in the New Testament, Jesus' blood uh, atonement for sin. And this just really stands out to me because now it's not the blood of an animal. Uh, the only way to cleanse the sin of the people is to eradicate the people. And that's how far it's gone, and just how nasty it's gone. Yes, yeah, they are far gone. Seth, uh, Micaiah. Well, bottom line, <laughs> there got to where there wasn't physically anybody left. The Babylonians came and destroyed them, took them away into captivity. They did leave a handful, and they promptly went to Egypt. So, they're, they're ultimately, Jerusalem was abandoned. Yeah. Okay, I see where, you, where this comes from. It looks, my impression has been in verse 8, 
that you, they're slaughtering so many, Ezekiel is assuming it's going to be everybody. And that really, in the picture, there were a few righteous people who weren't slain. Joe? Okay, that could be. Okay. Yeah, the righteous scarcely be saved, and or the sinner and the ungodly appear. Sure, I mean, you know, it's an act of grace and mercy on God's part that He spares us if we're faithful. I mean, those who aren't. One of the things you see in Ezekiel that I don't know that we like or we like to deal with is God pours His wrath out on wicked people. That's the way it is, Joe. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it starts with God's people. Although I think in First Peter four, the judgment starts with God's people in terms of the persecution. Good, good thought. Yeah, First Peter four seventeen. Yeah, good thought. Great, Jake. Right. Yeah. Good point. So God starts with the elders, starts with the leaders. They bear a greater responsibility. Uh, that's sobering, that he would start with the temple, he start with the house of God, he starts even with the leaders. So that's saying, don't look at this as only being those wicked people out there. He's actually going to start with us and with the leaders among us. Yeah, that's a good point. Brian. Absolutely right. Yeah, this must have been unsettling times for Ezekiel. And seeing this, he loves his people. He loves Jerusalem. And God's wrath is devastating. Yes. Yeah, cherub just singular. I think, I, I'm, no, I think he just left the cherub. Instead of talking about the two of them, he left the one, whichever was on his side or whatever. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's confusing to us. What's a cherub? But it's just the singular. Yeah, that's it. It's that idea of the original being outside of Jerusalem is a contemporary idea for us that he would write in Acts 7, 4. In chapter 13, that Jesus suffered outside of the city. And we had to go out to him. And bearing the shame. So, just as the remnant was looked on as forsaken and the lost in that time, it's the same God. We have to grace 
Good point. Yes. Very good. Let's do a little bit of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. 